Peter's got one. Hey, everyone, how are you all? You all doing good? Kind of. <laughs> um, kind of. <laughs> No, I don't believe so. Okay, um, don't divide us. Uh, it's it's basically it's complete agreement with what you're uh, with what you're saying. Um, that's so right. Because of COVID, that's that past right. Year, um, I've had to take teach. I've had to take part time teaching work in a school to obviously pay the bills. Um, an inner city London school. So I encounter the um, I encounter. Should I say this kind of like low level, um, ideological adherence. To a particular school of thought like amongst many of for example like the parents even amongst some of the teaching staff um and there's it might be quite interesting actually because the woman who runs the Econo project is a a girl called anaya falarin um british nigerian and she's a big proponent of classical liberalism uh, so she's a former conservative now politically homeless so she might be someone actually worth reaching out to from a political standpoint as well um, but yeah, her project goes into schools and literally is the exact talk that you've just basically given. Um, but also then focusing on how we need to view people as individuals and there's a universality to, hu to humanity. Um, and that is the way people need to be treated. Um, and don't divide us, you might find interesting. And if anyone encounters this, I suppose in a professional capacity, um, don't divide us, actually provide free templates and like letters that you can either give to the school or to your workplace, which allow you to frame the reference of your disagreements with this kind of school of thought. If, for example, you ever have to encounter diversity training, which I've, I had to do an hour of, and the first thing I did was send a letter to the school saying like, no, no, this is why I disagree with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd bring them up and obviously thank you for the talk. I think it was very eloquent and very well put together. Thank you very much. Thank well, very much. I think it's certainly the case that if there are projects, and I've not heard of those two in particular, but if there are projects out there that, that spread this message on a more individualist basis, then that's something that um, I think, especially with the, the deterioration of race relations, particularly since um, Obama took office, but... It's been going on for a little bit longer than that. The deterioration of those relations um, as a direct consequence of the kind of collectivization of, of thinking on this issue. I think it's absolutely critical if we don't want that to continue to support projects like this. I do feel on a more pessimistic note that it is perhaps a little bit, um, a little bit further down the road than we would perhaps like. Certainly, the, this kind of thinking, and it's not just on race, it's on, on many different issues, is embedded quite substantially at all levels of schooling right the way down um, to primary school. And I know some primary school teachers myself who um, are quite actively or, or at least aware politically um, and who do not to put them down intimate to me sometimes that that they spread that with their students and that's that's perhaps they don't mean it in a in a in a bad way but uh, certainly that's the collective effect of it when, when you go up through all the different levels and it's particularly pernicious in university as well well i think it's fear 
I think that's what it simply boils down to. I think you have, for example, it was interesting watching the diversity training in the school that I'm a part of, um, run by a white woman, edu- like trying to educate the black teachers on their own oppression. And that's obviously a quite like kind of like an ironic perspective to watch. Uh, but I think it's fair. I think kind of like a lot of people at the moment, um, have you heard of Glenn McClowry? Uh, or John, you might like uh, two prominent black intellectuals from America. Um, I think professor of linguistics and professor of economics at Columbia and Stanford, or one of the others, I can't remember. Um, they do some quite good shows on it, actually. Um, and yeah, like he literally, his quote is that white people are sitting behind a desk pissing their pants at fear of being like called a racist. Um, and actually, ironically, what we need to do is yet counter it with the rational argument of like, no, look, if race is a society, if race is a social construct, how is creating society in which race is the central issue going to make it any better? And I think that's where, like, I think, yeah, that's a a good argument to come from. Yeah, I think um, uh, the one thing to say about the diversity training is that there's, um, as far as I'm aware, no evidence that it works. Um, and I've always resisted taking uh, any of those kind of courses and as yet have not been subjected to them. Um, so that's, that's one thing to say. If you get the opportunity, I would recommend doing it because I think there's no better way to take an argument apart than to fully understand it from the inside. So I think if you get the opportunity, they're quite, they're hard to sit through. Um, luckily, they're only about an hour long. Um, but I found after sitting through it, like the, it was the one and only time I've gone through it, I found that sitting through it reinforced all my arguments against it, which allowed me to then fully formulate that that kind of like argument in a kind of genuine, look, I've sat through this and I disagree with it. So, but obviously, like, you know, yeah, I think it's Harvard that came out and said the unconscious bias training, which was created by a Harvard professor, he is completely written off. He said, yeah, no, it doesn't do anything. And that's completely searchable. Like, it's a relief paper that said this is useless. So. Yeah, well, I um, yeah, I-, I did deliver a speech um, a few a few years back now, actually, maybe four or five years now, um, where I had a copy of one of these diversity training um, guides that uh, my student union at university was subjected to so i have read quite closely through those documents and um there were some there were some absurdities in there like um there's an exercise to rank order the staff in the union uh, according to their privilege score which uh, was very amusing to me but uh, yeah these these things these things there's no evidence that they work um, there's no evidence that the claims that they make about the prevalence of racism and this is one thing to say is that racism is actually not that prevalent um it's it's not as big a deal um as is made out um even in um with reference to for example america and police incidents we're actually talking about very very few incidents here um you know less than 100 every year out of many thousands many many thousands of police contacts um, and I think there is a danger of overstating this this issue, but uh, as I said, it's been exacerbated by the types of the types of th- uh, the types of thinking that we're using to combat it. 
Yeah, I mean, well, it's like you said, it's a political move. I mean, this is right out of the early 90s. This is right out of Peggy Mac, Peggy, Peggy McIntosh, um, The Invisible Knapsack, I think is the paper that started it all, um, where she listed four, 24 reasons why, as a white woman, she was privileged. And one of them was walking down the street and not happening to see any black people. And it was like, well, maybe that's because you live in a white town. Which was like, yeah, it's absurd. But then obviously, I mean, um, it, it's, it's rooted in postmodernism, which, you know, has its a, has its uses occasionally, but is mostly gibberish. Um, so, yeah, no, it is, it's, it's a political move. It's based on a power grab. Um, and it is heavily rooted, actually, as you were right, in leftist ideology. Um, I think in the 70s, it was basically the left decided that the working class had rejected them, so they decided to go for every other identity group possible. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's the correct argument to give towards it. But yeah, it was just a, you know, a thank you. Really, really good, really interesting talk and really, really, really well put together. Well, thank you. Um, I'm sure we'll move on to the next question now, but I don't know if, if anyone else um, picked it up, but uh, someone saying that one of their privileges in life is not seeing black people is a, is quite a racist thought. <laughs> but uh, does anyone else have uh, any uh, any questions? Any more questions, I'd say. Just feel free to chime in rather than put your hand up if you want. Is anyone a racist here? <laughs> I, take that, I take that as a no. Yeah. I should have probably prepared um, some questions uh, really to, to to ask the crowd um is there anything in particular from from my talk or anything that i've said that anyone might um have any disagreement with i, I suspect we all come from the same kind of political uh, political perspective um but uh, is is there any any kind of policy prescription that you would put forward that differs from my laissez-faire approach to this um, do you think that there is a need for the government to address uh, to address this? Is there a, a society-led approach to this, or am I completely right and you can massage my ego? Uh, can I speak, uh, Chris Farmer? Go, Chris. <clears throat> um, I think the best approach I've ever heard to this was uh, spoken by Morgan Freeman. You know the actor who was being interviewed. I think on the event of something like, uh, I think it was called Black History Week or something in America. And Morgan Freeman uh, was being interviewed and he said the best way to handle racism is to stop talking about it. And he said to the interviewer, look, I'll do you a deal. You stop talking to me as if I'm a black man and I'll stop talking to you as if you're a white man. And let's just ignore the whole thing because by the act, of talking about it feeds the beast and the best way to deal with the racism is to stop talking about it and i thought that was correct i thought that was the best way to do it so i just thought i'd drop that to you and see what you could make of morgan freeman's comment uh, well i i agree with that and um i i often got in trouble for saying um in response to things 
um, when when people celebrate the uh, say election of of minority groups or of women to positions of power or influence, um, that it's not actually a victory for women or a victory um, for for uh, black people or gay people or whatever else it might be. Um, the the simple fact here, I think, is um, if we're talking about equality and we're talking about true equality and by that I mean equal access and outcomes which are not determined by sex or or race is is as you say that we should that we don't need to talk about it you know people saying that it was a a step forward for America that Obama was black when he was elected um, with the media placing so much emphasis on his characteristic, on that, as you say, that that pointless and irrelevant characteristic, that when it came round to it, you had a president who was um, who many people believed was um, was elected on his race and and was certainly helped by that. It's the same eight years later with with Hillary and her attempt to do the same with with her gender. I I don't think that if you are in a position because you played up two irrelevant identity aspects that you can claim that as a victory for for equality it, it you can't have it both ways to say that my identity doesn't matter and shouldn't matter in the determination of um of outcomes in society and economy and politics um, while at the same time using it as a means to give yourself an advantage. If you're there because of quota, because of affirmative action, because you got out a demographic group, you got out the black vote or the rural vote or the female vote or the gay vote or whatever else it might be, the LGBT vote, I don't think that is a victory for equality, personally. Um, others may disagree with me if they want to but yeah like i said you, you can't have it both ways anyone else does anyone disagree with me <laughs> no <laughs> who dare disagree with Marley? it's true i am quite intimidating <laughs> Do we have any other thoughts from anyone? I wouldn't mind a quick recap on the couple of minutes I missed, if that's if people don't mind. <laughs> Anybody remember what it was? Actually, I was going to say I was going to comment on um, how funny it is to see uh, people of the supposed, uh, you know, privileged. Uh, racial groups or in other situations, you know, gender or, or whatever, how quickly some of them uh, leap not only to accept but vigorously defend the ideas of, uh, uh, you know, this whole critical race theory and how, how hard they try to pin their identity to it. Um, and uh, relating back to uh, the, you know, Marxist campaigns and such, uh, I think there's multiple kinds of them. 
um, like the ones who genuinely believe in it uh, for whatever reason, and ones who are cynically trying to use it to gain some kind of favor or at the very least to look, well, to gain the respect of people they want to impress for whatever reason. Yeah, well, I think on, on the cynicism side first, um, and I've actually forgotten what the first bit was, but um, the cynicism side is something that I mentioned before. I think that's that's um, a large part of it. Oh, I, I've remembered it now. Uh, it's a large part of it. Um, as I said before, you don't get many feminists uh, complaining about the gender imbalance in uh, in in bricklaying or plumbing. Um, or anything like that um, and that's because there's no power there there's no influence there there's no money there predominantly um, there's 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 only uh, a work ethic there's only your ability that, and 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 those things are not are not the the goal of this the goal of this is as I, as I said before as as Ayn Rand said it's it's a quest for the unearned for favors for quotas for affirmative action points and all that sort of stuff it's it's for a seat at the table that hasn't been earned and isn't justified by the the ability that you've demonstrated content of your intellectual or moral character um i understand why people are inherently self-interested and some people who perhaps don't have the right principles are going to try to manipulate systems for their own benefit we have to try as much as we can to uh, avoid that happening, but and and to to push the other narrative and to to try to get people to behave honestly uh, and to think honestly. But um, sometimes that's that's difficult, um, especially when we have a political system and an allegedly conservative party uh, who believe this too. Um, but but there are, as you say, some people who are honest about this, who who actually do believe in these things, who actually believe in critical race theory, who actually do believe that there is an oppressive superstructure, uh, whether that's a patriarchal superstructure, whether it's a white supremacist superstructure, uh, a cis heteronormative superstructure, whatever you want to uh, want to say, there are people who who believe in it and see it. And my question, really, to those people is is firstly you're wrong that we don't live in those superstructures we don't live in the hegemonies as you describe them we don't live in a patriarchy by any comparable standard we don't live under a white supremacist hegemony by any standard or even a racial supremacy by any standard that you can compare to any society that exists now and any society that exists Ever, and it cannot be determined empirically if you properly analyze the data that there are any substantive differences between the races, the genders, um, and the sexualities economically or socially. Um, which, which leads me to ask, why would you want to view the world in this way when it's not necessary, when the evidence itself disputes it why do you want to view the world that way and i i never quite understand why i never quite understand why people choose to believe this when it isn't true um perhaps it's 
it, it, I've been um, listening recently to uh, the uh, Jordan Peterson's uh, debate with, uh, I think it was Slavo Žižek, about communism and how we are as a species um, having suffered, struggled for many, 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 many millennia um, in absolute abject dirt scrabbling poverty that we are built for struggle and i i tend now to be coming around to the idea that well perhaps it is it is an evolutionary reaction to the immense wealth and the immense prosperity and the immense comfort that we have that these people have nothing better to do than to invent problems and and that could certainly be a symptom of it but it is difficult to to think when it's not necessary to believe that this is true they actually still do and I, I i don't get that impulse and i i you know i i don't know why you would want to live in that world i, I don't understand it well there's a lot not to understand about it um there's also probably just the ones who want to feel like a hero like uh, a, again completely failing to grasp the idea that the races are in fact equal and that skin color does not actually influence anything there's the ones who just want to be you know that one white person who thinks that all white people are racist um it's just it's it's just odd i can't think of another way to describe it it's just really odd thinking some kind of weird hero complex victim complex both at the same time it's mind-boggling yeah well everyone wants a challenge but as i say psychologically i i can't understand where these people are coming from um and it, it may be quite some time before i ever do to be honest and maybe the this is um, just because I'm I'm white, as they would say. But um, I, I I don't feel the need personally to be a victim, and it, it would be very easy for anyone to pick out any kind of uh, aspect of their identity or experience and use that as an excuse for why they've failed or why they can't succeed as much as they would like to. I don't get that impulse. I don't feel it myself. I don't feel it's necessary um, to, to 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 provide excuses for yourself in that manner. And I certainly think that that's what people who believe they live under an oppressive system um, because of their immutable, irrelevant characteristics are doing. So, um, as I say, though, it's it's. I don't understand the impulse. I don't have it myself, and I, I haven't had anyone explain to me why they want to live in that world. Thank you very much, Harley. Thanks for the questions. Are there any more questions? Because if not, it'd be a good time to wrap it up, because we'll be just on the hour. <laughs>